Our scripture reading for the morning comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verses 7 through 17, and can be found on page 195 in your pew Bible. This is, of course, in the Old Testament, so it's in the front by 195. Hear now the words from sacred scripture from the book of Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. And when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua then said to the Israelites, Draw near and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that among you is the living God, who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is going to pass before you into the Jordan. So now select twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, Rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were there in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks. It is in the flood stage throughout the time of harvest. And so when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, while those flowing toward the sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho, while all Israel were crossing over on dry ground. The priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me? Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. During a staff meeting not too long ago, Dr. Ben's laughing voice rose up over the usual din of inter-office banter and with nothing short of glee said, I love working with smart people. (laughs) Now, I was on the other side of the room, but I'm pretty sure it was in response to something these two fantastic clergy were saying to one another. One smart people thing that I have learned this year has been the liturgical use of the word octave. For those of you that have attended any of our even song observances, you will note that we celebrate those feast days, the feast days of Michaelmas and of Candlemas, on Sunday evenings, not on the day that they actually take place. Why? Because we celebrate them within the octave, the Sunday to Sunday eight-day cycle that surrounds the date on the calendar. Now, I love this musical connection because there are, of course, those eight notes on the scale. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A, and then back down. Anyone with a middle school band member in the house or has ever had one knows that scale very well. And even though All Saints Day was officially last Wednesday, We are observing it today on Sunday within the octave. All Saints Day is the liturgical holiday when we honor those who have gone before. When many churches read the names of those who have died within the past year. When we recall those who have impacted our lives who live now on a distant shore and in a far greater light. The history of All Saints Day is a long one, beginning in the late 3rd century as an observance to celebrate early church martyrs. The date then danced around a liturgical calendar from just after Easter to then closer to Pentecost over the next 500 years. But by the 8th century, the church had made the feast day more inclusive including not just martyrs, but all deceased people, and had moved the observance later in the year. And that is how All Saints Day found itself on November 1st. Now, this observance, at least according to tradition, is why Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the front of the cathedral door on October 31st. Everyone was going to be in church the next day, to observe all saints. And so by posting his complaints the night before, the exact time that many people of faith in that era believed that ghosts and spirits of those that hadn't yet found their way into heaven were out gallivanting around the countryside, by posting them on that day almost ensured maximum impact and gave Luther immediate ecclesial notoriety. One of the great joys of starting the Climbing Trees podcast this past season here at Westminster is that it has given me the opportunity to speak with amazing people about those who have inspired them. 
These have been truly sacred conversations. And the list of inspirational folk is incredibly long. Poets, parents, scholars, pastors, emeriti. The myriad of unnamed women in the history of each faith community that has ensured the next generation has it better than they did. Teachers, mentors, children's choir directors. The inspirational people that each guest names could go by many monikers, but perhaps the best is the term saint, for they clearly are the ones who came before. And it is in their memory and in their honor that we feebly struggle while they in glory shine to quote the great hymn that we will sing together later this morning. Who is a saint? Reformed Christians sometimes struggle with a good definition. We can all think of those saints who have inspired us in our lives, whether we know them personally or not. Here's an example. Almost every pastoral prayer that I lead, I open with something like, let us lean back on the everlasting, ever-longing, and ever-loving arms of God in prayer. Not going to lie, I did not make that up. That compassionate, that glory-laden invitation comes from a former associate pastor at the first church I ever served in New York, a man named Ken Jones. Ken was a beloved associate pastor, serving there for 33 years, who in far too common an occurrence in our field, died one evening in his seventh floor office, overlooking Fifth Avenue, January 7th, 1996. Eight years and a renovation project later, I found myself serving that church with an office on that same seventh floor, feeling not just God's ever-loving arms around me, but Ken's as well, as I learned what it meant to live a life as professional clergy, best described by author and pastor Lillian Daniel as this odd but wondrous calling. While memorializing Ken 20 years after his death, current senior pastor at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian, the Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston, wrote this in 2016. Ken Jones was one of our saints. I know Presbyterians are not given to canonizing our ancestors, no matter how influential or beloved that they may be. But if you consider a saint to be a person worth remembering, a Christian worth emulating, a presence worth sustaining, then Ken Jones fits the bill. I love that definition of a saint. While we continue to reflect on those people in our own lives worth remembering, the people worth emulating, the presence worth sustaining people in our own life. I'd like to lift up the fact that our biblical figure in today's passage, Joshua, 
does that exact same thing with one of his saints. And as we all just learned, that saint's name is Moses. As we just read, we encounter Joshua leading the Hebrew people just as they are about to finish their 40-year exodus journey and enter the promised land. Moses has been the leader, the one in charge for the entire time, even back when they were still enslaved in Egypt by Pharaoh. Moses has also been that direct contact with God, communing with God in a bush that was inflamed and yet not consumed, communing with God on a mountaintop, communing with God in a pillar of fire. But now it is Joshua's turn to step into the role. And I invite us now to explore the methods that he emulates, some of the skills he sustains that brings God's people to a new place while faithfully honoring a person and a period worth remembering. Now, the authors of our text give Joshua a boost and help with this task by naming Joshua as a new Moses. In the very first verse of the book, God directly speaks to Joshua. And then just like God had done with Moses, God proclaims, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. This is clearly good news for Joshua and the people of Israel. It allows for both God's and Moses' presence to be sustained into the next season of our sacred story. Here we can see that the seeds are being planted textually for us to pick up on the Moses as saintly figure for Joshua vibe. Yet, Joshua still needs to act. Joshua still needs to emulate his mentor. And what we see today is Joshua putting this directly into practice. First, Joshua calls the people together and encourages them all to obey the Torah, to obey all the laws, just like Moses. Next, Joshua sends spies into a new and unknown land before entering, getting the lay of the land, these spies doing important reconnaissance work, helping them plan their triumphant entry, just like Moses. And then Joshua calling on the almighty power that our creator God has over even creation itself, leads all of Israel across a body of water, here the Jordan River, and into the promised land. Just as the Red Sea parted for Moses in the Exodus, so here too does the water part, as the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant across, leading all of Israel with them. Now, in the very next chapters after this water crossing, the people of Israel look back to their earliest roots as God's covenant people. The new generation looks back on those who were left behind in Egypt, at the souls that didn't complete the Exodus journey. But as an act of remembering, they praise and celebrate all all that God has done to bring them to this point in history. And there they observe the very first Passover in the new land. Once the Passover is observed, a ritual that reverently honors people worth remembering, 
a ritual that emulates people worth emulating, a ritual that calls upon a presence worth sustaining, they then turn to the future. And in doing so, they continue to carry their loved one's memories. They continue to sustain their presence alongside them throughout the rest of time. Now, the biblical authors make a special note today that the rivers of the Jordan are at a flood stage when the Hebrews pass through them. The waters are found to be at an elevated level because it is time for the harvest. The waters have risen high, and this is a biblical text that indicates that good things are about to happen. Food stores will be resupplied. The poor will have sections of the field available to them from which to glean. Bounty can be found on the horizon. And yet anyone who lives in Old Town Alexandria can tell firsthand the fear of a river at flood stage. Water cascading down the streets. Fish left behind in century-old basements. It's easy to forget when we can simply pay an extra toll to zoom over the Potomac and zip past all that traffic and the liquid barrier, the barrier that caused fear and trepidation for our ancestors for millennia. Water crossings have historically always been a challenge. Now, how many of us have ever played the video game Oregon Trail? Hands in the air. Yes. You remember how challenging those river crossings were. Do you ford the river? Do you caulk the wagon and cross? Do you, whisk, do you risk valuable time waiting for the ferry? Do you hire the local guide? Let us not forget that it was a raging river, a river at flood stage, that ultimately doomed Chris McCandless, called hero from John Krakauer's Into the Wild. Flood stage river water is not the water anyone is supposed to enter. And yet, that is where Joshua, emulating, remembering, sustaining the memory of Moses, sustaining the nation of Israel, takes our spiritual ancestors. One could say that these ancient water crossings, the Red Sea with Moses, the Jordan River with Joshua, one could say that they are communal baptisms of a sort. The people dying to their old way of life and being made into new creation, aware of the promise and ultimate victory of our Lord God. Slavery to liberation. Wandering in the desert to the land of milk and honey promised by God. This flood stage moment had to shape those generations of Israelites finally seeing a promise fulfilled. It had to impact their eternal reliance on God. How fitting that the occasion that honors the very first Passover celebration in the promised land is our assigned text for All Saints Day. 
a liturgical reminder of the omnipresence of God and all those who have gone before. Perhaps Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says it best, and I quote here, The cry for life beyond the grave is presumptuous if there is no cry for eternal life prior to our descending to the grave. Eternal is not perpetual future, but perpetual presence. God has planted in us the seed of eternal life. And the world to come is not only a hereafter, but also a here now. Who better in scripture to ponder the sacred here now than the Israelites walking through the Jordan while the waters have risen and are at flood stage? Who better today to ponder the sacred mystery of the here now than us gathered for all saints day? The glory of all saints is that all of those that came before are spiritually here with us in the sacred here now. All of your grandparents, the ones whose memory you cherish, the ones that you never had the chance to meet, they are here worshiping alongside us. All the loved ones, the lost ones that have been taken away from us far too soon Far too young, perhaps because of something foolish, perhaps because of something that occurred far out of all possible human control, perhaps because of something that we regret. They are all here, worshiping alongside us. All the ones that encouraged, all the ones that sacrificed, all the ones that made straight a way in the wilderness for us. They are here. They are here now, helping God hold back the floodwaters and pointing us all to the good news of harvest on the other side in the promised land. Over the last month, I've had the honor of participating in two separate ceremonies at the Pentagon. One was a promotion ceremony, and the other was an honorable retirement. I've given the invocation, the opening prayer, at both ceremonies. And the sacred moments that I have witnessed at these have been nothing short of profound. During the promotion ceremony, it was shared that the rank that this officer was about to achieve was the same rank that his father had attained when he had served 30 years earlier. When it came time for the oath of office to be made, this officer's father stood up from the audience, made his way to the front, and participated in the promotion. That was a moment worthy of All Saints Day. During the retirement ceremony a week later, a different serviceman while thanking his family for the support that they had given him, invited his son to the front to stand alongside him. His high school-aged son stood there in full uniform, for he has already decided to follow his father's footsteps and join the military, and in preparation has joined the Junior Reserve 
Officer Training Corps. And so this retiring officer, after 36 years of service, stood next to his son, and in one of the final acts of his professional career, they had the opportunity to salute one another. That was a moment worthy of All Saints Day. But what I was most moved by was that both the officer being promoted as well as the officer that was retiring, they both shared the same commanding officer. And the pride that this CO had for the people in his command was something to behold. He delighted in their achievement. He relished in them having their special moment, their sacred moments. And the humility and the high regard that both officers had for their CEO was in turn inspiring. Why do I close with this story? Because not all the saints in our lives are faithfully departed. You know the people in your lives who have held back the waters of destruction while you've walked safely through to the other side. You know the people who have helped you when you found yourselves in one of life's flood stages. These people are saints, and this day is for them. Our challenge is to live our lives in a way that does them justice. And the good news, friends, is that they all think that we can. Amen.